Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin and Mike Ingersoll. Ross, I'll start with you. Media availability for the offense today. I've seen some clips of Coach Cap. I've seen Daz Newsom's comments about his play. What would you gather from your availability today at Keenan Stadium? You know, Fedora called it a patchwork line, offensive line, on Saturday after the game. And and that's kind of what it sounds like. You know, Coach Cap is is not too pleased with the depth he has right now. Obviously, some injuries that happened in the last game, um, Billy Spain. And, you know, Cam Dillard went down on Saturday against Louisville. So of the two guys that they kind of most valued, the most experienced guys with that leadership, they are both banged up. We don't know the extent of each injury. Um, obviously, Spain has the has something with his hand or wrist that's being wrapped up and then has a cast on it. And so he has that club. I know we discussed that a lot last week on the podcast. You know, otherwise, it seems like Chaz Surratt and Brand Harris are both splitting reps. At least that's what Fedora and Coach Cap and Brand Harris told us today. So uh, no real changes on that side. And I mean, who are we going to see on on Saturday? Is Surratt going to start or is Harris going to start coming off that that good performance on Saturday? So that's going to be the things to kind of watch for the ODU game looming. Mike, yet again, we're talking about injuries on the offensive line, but I like what Ross said, and I think what Coach Cap said is I think they did fairly well given the circumstances, given uh, the team that they were playing had a very veteran front. I thought they pass protected well. Jason and I talked about it at length yesterday on the podcast. They just got to figure out a way to get it done. How difficult is it for Coach Cap and this bunch going forward? Well, I mean, losing Cam Dillard is, is big, and, and we don't know the extent of that and what's what's going on there as of right now. And Coach Fedora is not real big on discussing injuries, so hopefully we'll know something pretty soon, and we can we can get an idea where we're at. I know that uh, you know they lose they lose Dillard for any significant amount of time. It's going to be a big blow. Vicargo came in and did a really good job at center, though. So I don't know that. We're going to see a ton of drop-off. I mean, there, there will be some growing pains if, if McCargo has to be the guy moving forward because Cam Dillard, obviously, I've said it a million times, he's, he brings a lot of experience to the table uh, and a lot of starts and, and a lot of, lot, lot of big-game big playtime. So losing that is – it's not great. It's not optimal. But I think we've got to – I mean, at least based on what I saw from McCargo against what you just said is a veteran front, you're right. Louisville's got a very strong defensive line. Those guys did a pretty good job. I saw a, a couple of very specific plays. I actually wrote them down. During the second quarter, I saw an inside twist. Louisville was trying to beat our guys with, with, with a twist, and we talked about this last year a little bit. For any of the subscribers that are listening who remember, we talked about twists. I think it was after the Miami game we talked about it because we struggled a lot against Miami last year uh, dealing with end tackle and tackle end twists. Well, what I saw on the inside with the inside three guys which were the, once Dillard went down, the three guys I was most concerned with. I saw the inside three guys handling an inside twist between the two defensive tackles for Louisville pretty well. It was actually textbook. And the the biggest takeaway I had from that was that R.J. Prince handled it like a pro. And that's a huge improvement from where he was last year. And these are kind of the things that I've been looking for is the guys that played last season, how have they improved and if they've improved, 
Um, I've looked at RJ a lot because everyone knows that RJ had a lot of growing pains last year. And I've seen him correct a lot of things so far on, on film that he struggled with last year. He's still got some work to do, but he's night and day the player he was this time last year. So that that kind of improvement across the board is, is very encouraging. Um, I saw them do a lot of good things uh, against Louisville. They had real solid protection for the duration of the game. There was a, a few hiccups here and there, but for the most part, I mean, it, they did a pretty good job against a really good unit for Louisville. So moving forward, you know, if you got injuries, you got Bentley Spain injured, you potentially have Cam Dillard down now for a while. You know, we've had guys leave the program. Tommy Hatton is still a big question mark. So, I mean, they're real thin depth-wise on the O-line, and that's never a good place to be. If we can keep the group we have healthy right now, I think they got a shot to be all right. That's not being overly optimistic. I just, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be pretty good. And one thing I think is important to note is that, you know, Charlie Heck now has two starts or at least two games of a lot of experience underneath his belt and that Cleo Rogers has, you know, another week to get in shape. So you would expect those guys who are getting significant time to start feeling a lot more comfortable in the system with just more practice time and more live reps, and just more tape to go off of and see improvements. And, you know, Charlie Heck's a guy we talked to today with, with Coach Cap. You know, he sees improvement after each game and still wants a lot more from him. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think against a veteran group uh, of Louisville's defensive front, there, there weren't many, you know, uh, pass protection concerns. Obviously, the running lanes weren't there, but I don't think UNC was super really looking for that as well, so we didn't see much of a running game. But, I mean, going into ODU, Coach Cap said today that that's the best defensive line they've seen so far. So they've gone against Cal, they've gone against Louisville, but ODU, the ODU Monarchs, are the best uh, defensive line they've seen. They have 15 sacks in two games. And Cap said that that's, uh, you know, no matter who it is, that's a lot of sacks for, for, for two games. So that's something to watch uh, moving forward. Well, you know what, that's a, that's, that's, that's a good point you bring up, Ross, too. And uh, the biggest improvement, I've, I've said this in the past on these podcasts, it's something that my coaches stressed to me when I played, and one thing I stressed to kids when they played is that early in the season, the, the most improvement you're going to see is between weeks one and two, and then between weeks two and three. So if ODU's defensive line turns out to be the the task that on paper right now, like you just said, it looks like it might be, then this will be a really good test of how 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 improved some of these guys actually are. And you're right, a guy like Charlie Heck getting reps, there's nothing more valuable than game reps. Khalil Rogers has done some really good things as long as he can get his conditioning under un, un, under under control. I think he's gonna be okay. And we're going into game three now, so. This will test that hypothesis that I was taught, that I swear by, that between weeks one and two, you'll see massive improvement. Between weeks two and three, you'll see some more improvement. And then right around week four, week five, you know who you're going to have. You know how those players are going to play, at least on the offensive line. You know how they're going to play for the rest of the season. That's pretty much what you got. Yo, Mike, what did you see at Nick Polino? Because I've, I've kind of been watching him, and I know he's been a guy that's kind of been in and out. What do you see out of him? Because he's another guy that's had, you know, kind of two games now. Yeah, so Polino's biggest problem is that I think he's swimming a little bit mentally. I saw week one against Cal, especially in a two-minute drill, him kind of honestly just sort of standing there. Uh, it wasn't really so much laid off the snap as he just was – he just froze. That doesn't indicate a lack of ability. That indicates lack of understanding of what's going on. 
so I think what's, you know, people talk about we need Polino to be more aggressive and we need this, that, and the other out of him. What we need out of Polino is to get more comfortable in the playbook. And once that happens, the aggressiveness and the reducing misassignments and dominating players like he was doing coming out of high school, right, that natural ability that he has, that's going to start coming out. But he's got to get more comfortable with the playbook. That being said, I thought he played a whole lot better against Louisville than he did against Cal. And he might be, well, depending on how he plays against ODU, he might be the guy to watch to see if this, this, this little theory that me and, and, and so many other coaches I've known have, um, if that holds true. If improvement between week one and two is the greatest and between two and three is also pretty significant, we'll see now going into week three. Um, if this is his best game so far, that might be the guy to watch to confirm that, confirm that theory. Um, but he's done some things better. He's, uh, we didn't, again, like you said, we didn't run the ball much against Louisville, but his pass protection was significantly better. He was in the game when we were handling those inside twists uh, a couple of times, and he's doing a good job. He's keeping his head out in pass protection. He's got a decent punch, and I think that's just uh, a, 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 a stronger comfort level with the playbook after having that week one experience with Cal. He understood the playbook a little better going into Louisville, and that, that stuff will start to come. Now, he'll make mistakes throughout the rest of the year. Right, he's young, but I think we're going to see him start to minimize those. He, he seemed like he seemed like a better player this week than he did against Cal. I'm excited to see if he can carry that into ODU and turn into that guy we thought he'd be coming out of high school. Mike, let me ask you this, and maybe it's a, a dumb question, but with so many injuries, we've talked about chemistry and continuity. Is it conceivable that the group that's out there now has chemistry together because maybe they were on the in working with the twos mostly in practice. I mean, is there is there anything to that? I mean, it's a patchwork line, but at this point, we're getting close to where it's mostly the second teamers, at least from preseason camp, developing some chemistry. I mean, how does that work, and how do you see that going for this group? Well, Tommy, there's, there's, there's no stupid questions, right? There's just stupid <laughs> people. There's just stupid people who ask questions. <laughs> nice. That being said, you, your question wasn't stupid, and you're not stupid. So here's, a, here's hopefully a not stupid answer. Those guys playing together throughout camp have a rapport with one another, um, but what they know is being a backup. They know the reduced pressure of the backups getting reps in practice, not as much as expected out of them. They're expected to be projects, and if they do something really great, right, or even if they just do their job in practice, Right? They got a pat on the back, great job. They're not – I mean, I don't care what any coach says. Your backups just aren't held to the same standard as your starters. That's not because you don't want to hold them to the same standard. That's just you got to put your focus on your starters. Most of the time, you know, at, 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 at the pro level, you don't really even know your backups' names the first couple weeks of camp or maybe even going into the season until – they get called in the game. It's kind of like, for those of you who have seen any given Sunday, remember Al Pacino didn't even know Willie Beeman's name when he got called in the game that first time? That's not actually that unrealistic. What these guys know is they, they, they know how to play with each other being backups, right? But now there's added pressure. So, yes, they have a camaraderie with each other. They have a comfort level with each other playing together, but only in that backup role. What they've got to get comfortable with now is playing alongside of each other with expectations thrown on top of it and standards thrown on top of it. 
And I think they're going to be okay because they don't really have a choice. They have to, they have to be good. They have to perform. They, they're, going to need, they're going to need a few more games playing together and actual game reps to really start, to really start getting comfortable with, with each other to a point where they can be productive to the level of what our starters would have been if they were healthy. But I think they're going to, I think they're going to be okay. If we get a few more games with these guys, I don't think you're going to see any real difference between them and the starters, frankly. I mean, because at that point they are our starters. And they're all talented guys. Cap has done a really good job recruiting on the offensive line, regardless of what the message boards might think. Okay, they, they, got, they have talent in that, in that meeting room. It's just young talent. And college fans need to understand something real important here. An 18- and 19-year-old kid is not a 24-, 25-year-old NFL player. They're not adults mentally, no matter how bad you want them to be. They need time to grow, and they need some pats on the back, and they need some encouragement, and they need game reps, right? So when you take a young kid and you throw him into the fire, he usually isn't going to look that good. Everybody's enamored with, John, with Jonathan Cooper when he was here. When Cooper was a freshman and a redshirt freshman, that kid messed up a lot. He ended up being a fantastic player, and we knew he was going to be a great player. But Coop had growing pains. He was a young guy. He wasn't the – he wasn't the player that the fans have romanticized him to be when he was a redshirt freshman. Same with James Hurst for as good as he was when he was here as a freshman. He had a lot of growing pain. That's how it goes with young guys. So be patient with the guys we have. I think they're talented, and I think they're going to be okay. And I think this, this kind of hodgepodge mismatch group that we have in there now, kind of like the Island of Misfit boys are rolling out there as offensive linemen, they're going to be pretty good. Again, Injuries, injuries are never welcome. Injuries are not obviously expected, and they're not optimal. But what they do is they give guys a chance to get game reps, and they get players better quicker. We saw this a few years ago. Guys like Caleb Peterson and had to come in and play, and they turned out to be pretty good players. My, one thing I would add, I mean, I don't think you're, you can say enough about how J.J. McCarga came in and, and stepped up. I mean, the guy had never played in a college game before. He comes in, I think, in the, in the second half as a center. You know, his mind's probably swirling. Obviously, I mean, he, he did pretty well. Came in, didn't make any mistakes, you know, held held the line together. And that's a big role as a center with all the calls you have to make and, and, and making sure the ball's out and, and having that chemistry in the offensive line. So, I mean, this guy was a highly recruited kid. I know the staff really liked him and his versatility on the offensive line. He hadn't played much center. I think he said he played a little bit of center in high school, but really came in as a versatile guy who could play a little tackle guard and obviously like him at center. So that was huge. I mean, you would think that a freshman like that coming in with against Louisville in the first ACC game would, would make some mistakes. And from what I saw, you know, you didn't hear his name called much. So obviously he did pretty well. And I think that's huge and um, something you don't always expect from a freshman to have that kind of um, you know, savvy in his first minutes um, in college. Well, the number one thing he did was he protected the football. And that was the first thing I was looking for when he came in the game is, what's this snap going to look like? I didn't expect it to roll back on the ground. But I expected it to kind of be high, maybe a little off target. All his shotgun snaps are great. His under center snaps are great. If he does nothing else for the rest of the game except get that snap up and put it where it needs to be, he's done a great job because he had to snap and step. He had a guy breathing down his face. When he came in the game, defensive line had a lather on him, right? And he was, I mean, he was fresh meat. And he didn't mess up a single snap that I saw for the duration of that game. You didn't even – it's like you said, he, his name never got called. You, you forgot he was even in there. And 
again, if you bring in a new center, especially a kid who's inexperienced at center, like J.J. was coming out of high school, you take a new center and put him in the game, in the middle of the game like that, with a quarterback he probably hasn't worked with a whole lot, and he doesn't mess up any snaps, that kid doesn't have to get a single assignment right as far as I'm concerned as long as he protected the football, which he did. So hats off to J.J. for that because everything else was icing on the cake. And Fedora, you know, brought up that like uh, third and and 93 that Mississippi State had that Mississippi State game where the center messed with a snap. And oh, that was the team, wild, yeah. the team was facing a uh, 93 yards and McCargo today, I asked him and he said, yeah, the one thing I was thinking about was not messing up a snap. That's the one thing went through his mind. He wasn't thinking about anything else. So I think people don't realize how hard that is, how, and then obviously how important it is to, to get the ball to the quarterback safely and securely. So hats off to him. Mike, let me ask you one question and it's not really about the offense, but it's about communication in general. Um, and it's really more on the defensive side because Fedora talked and a lot of the players talked about it, the miscommunication on assignments on the defensive end specifically. But in general, at what point does that, and I know this is sort of a, a sensitive type topic, but at what point is it on the players? And then at what point does it transition where it's on the way they're being coached, in your opinion? Well, since I'm not out there watching practice, I can't tell you how they're being coached in terms of communication. But I know that the best coaches and the best programs stress, and it's both sides of the ball, stress being as vocal and being as communicable, if that's even a word, communicating as much as humanly possible. And when the fans, when we talk about communication, what we mean is, you know, it's a nice little buzzword. And, well, they're not communicating. Well, most people don't really even know what that means. What that means is, literally calling out and saying something about every single thing that you see. It's not so much just the play call and assignment. Communication is pointing out to the other guys on the field with you, whether you're on offense or defense, every single thing you see happening. Because you might see something happening that affects a guy 15 feet away from you, right? But because you shouted out an alignment or the guy across from you had his, had, had his left hand down and not his right hand down, right? Or if you're an offensive lineman and you think you see a twist coming, or if you're a, if you're a Sam linebacker and you see the H back lined up in the hip of the tackle, and maybe on film, you notice a tendency that if his left foot was cocked a little bit, he was going to go in motion or they were going to run some type of play out of that formation that was abnormal from what they normally ran. If you call that out, that might tip off somebody on the other side of the field to another key they need to look for. And now maybe they notice it. And because you called out that one little thing, you may change the entire outcome of what the play might, might have been for the better. Good coaches stress that in practice and stress it as in if, if something happens and the coach sees it and you don't and you don't point it out, you don't communicate it to everybody else on the field with you, you're getting chewed. The best coaches I had would chew you more and would chew you harder for not communicating something you saw, not communicating a tip that you saw, whether it was in the defensive front, their alignment, whether it was in the individual player across from you, what he was doing, something that we stressed in film, okay, that you didn't get out of your mouth quick enough to alert the other guys on the line or the other guys on the offense what was going on. The best coaches I had would chew you for that harder than if you just missed an assignment completely. Because when you don't communicate something, you're not affecting just you. Yeah, you might mess up your assignment because you didn't really know what was going on and you weren't looking for it. 
Maybe that's why you didn't shout it out in the first place. So you might mess up on an individual level, but because you didn't say anything, you might have me- you might have messed up three or four more guys, right? And we get gashed. And now the coaches are standing there looking at you like all of that could have been avoided if you had just opened up your mouth. So the best coaches emphasize that strongly in practice, sometimes even to the point of emphasizing it and focusing on it more than any other aspect of practice, any other assignment or any other tendency or anything else that you worked on in the film room, right, that you're trying to bring out to the practice field. Sam Pittman was a champion of communication. Everything was communicate, right? And if you couldn't communicate, you couldn't play. That's how Butch coached us. That's how Sam coached us, right? That's how my coaches in the NFL coached us, Bob Bostad. That's how we were taught. Dante Skarnecki up in New England. If you didn't talk, you couldn't play, period, because there's more people relying on you than just you. So So what's going on with the defense? I mean, the whole thing was miscommunication. You have experienced guys. You have a you know, Miles Dorn and Andre Smith and a veteran linebacker group you would think that would have that communication down. Was it just kind of Louisville's, you know, versatile offense and Lamar Jackson and, and having to watch him while you know, having the, I don't know, the, the, the mind to, to watch the, the long plays as well. And then also the big switch was Papuchas was in the booth for the Louisville game. And for the Cal game, Terry Joseph was in the booth. So there's some switch-ups there. I mean, what's kind of going on with the defense, you think, in terms of miscommunications? And, and what do you think the strategy is there in, term, in terms of having your defensive coordinator up in the booth versus Terry Joseph, who's the, the secondary coach who, who Papuchas said he trusts up there to kind of, recognize schemes and and routes and and the like i played enough football to be able to comment on this i mean my my thing always was that the best some of the best offensive coaches i ever had always played you know played defense as players and they understood it right so and the same is true for offensive players understanding how defenses work one major concern that i have for the defense is that there's a whole lot of this fake tough guy stuff going on that's number one and when i say fake tough guy stuff i mean like 90 not name jalen dalton Jalen Dalton has all the ability in the world. Jalen Dalton can be better than Nas Jones, who congratulations on the pick six, Nas, if you ever hear this, that got called back. That was actually pretty athletic. <laughs> he was, he looked um, fast, man. He looked fast. He, he was faster than Aaron Rodgers. But Jalen Dalton against Cal, unnecessary hitting the quarterback. You ain't got to hit him, right? That's fake tough guy stuff. That's stuff that bad teams do, okay? Sharpen celebrating a receiver dropping a ball. If you're a defensive back, and I never understood this about DB, guy drops a ball, and he had you beat by a step and a half. What are you doing throwing your arms out like you did something? You got beat. <laughs> Dude, okay? this team loves to celebrate with the, with the two arms, you know, not in here, not in my zone. They love to do that. Yeah. I see it after Literally. every play. After, and after every play on the defensive line, there's always somebody doing something stupid that they don't need to be doing. There's always some kind of extracurricular going on that doesn't do anything to add to the game. And, I, and listen, the fake tough guy stuff, I see it because, look, man, I did a whole bunch of extracurricular crap after plays, but I never did it until I knew I had the guy across from me beat. So I didn't come into the game starting off play one running my mouth. And I ran my mouth with the best of them. Right, that was part of my game was trying to get in a dude's head. But I never started off the game like that. These guys seem like they focus a whole lot on trying to chirp and talk and do this fake tough guy crap early in the game. All right, and all it does is get you penalties, 
And then when you start getting beat, it makes you look foolish. So there's issue number one. They got to cut that crap out. Until they start whipping people and they're not giving up 600 yards a game, right, nobody out there needs to be talking. Unless it's Andre Smith in the run because nobody can run on that kid. As far as pass, as far as pass coverage goes, I don't know what was going on with over the middle and pick plays. After a while, Petrino can, Petrino can run as many pick plays as he wants right, and get guys open. Petrino knows to do that. And watching film, they clearly knew that if we run pick plays and run somebody shallow over the middle of the field, we're going to have them open every single time if Jackson's got to, if Axon Jackson's got to check down, right? We knew we or, or Louisville knew they were going to have that. Okay. At some point though, as players, you got to man up and you got to correct that. I don't know that that's a defensive coordinator problem so much as it's a, the players aren't correcting themselves problem. Now that's bad. Here's good. Here's really, really good. On designed runs, Carolina's defense this weekend looked phenomenal. Okay, and I caught flack for this on Twitter from a few people. Okay, people wanted to come at me and they wanted, well, how can you say that they did better uh, on rush defense when they gave up 150 yards rushing or whatever it was? Okay, and the arrogant answer is, you know, the answer, the tongue in cheek, snarky answer is, well, because I know what I'm looking at and you probably don't. Okay, but instead of firing back with stuff like that, explaining it so that people understand all all snark aside there's a big difference between a designed run and a quarterback scramble out of a pass rush when I, we've got four defensive linemen four or five yards upfield because they've beat the offensive line but now there's running lanes for the Heisman Trophy winner to take off right for a guy like Lamar Jackson the offensive stat breakdown should be rushing yards as in designed rushes I turn around and hand it to a running back and then there should be Lamar Jackson or quarterback rush yards. And there was a major disparity between the two when you broke down the stats from the Louisville game that way. They didn't run the ball very effectively at all. Louisville's got an experienced offensive line. People can talk about how bad they are all they want, but all those kids were four and five stars coming out of high school, right? And they're, they're good athletes. Our defensive line showed a marked improvement in stopping the run on designed runs. Our linebackers did a significantly better job on design runs. You could not run on them. If you turned around and handed the ball to a running back, you weren't going to – eight out of ten times it wasn't going to be an efficient run. That's why they didn't do it much. Because early in the game they tried, and we had guys like Andre Smith, Holcomb, our defensive line, stuffing the run. Now, our defensive line pass, press, pass rush also significantly better. They were beating their linemen. They were, they, were, they were creating pressure on Lamar Jackson. And on most players, the pressure they were creating would have resulted in significantly more sacks, hits, and hurries, and incompletions. You're dealing with the Heisman Trophy winner, and you're dealing with the best athlete on the field. I saw an interview on FS1 yesterday. Michael Vick was on the herd with Colin Cowherd. And he was talking about how early in his career – when he came in the NFL and he was running around and all that, that was stuff that he learned early, early on middle school, high school, and his coaches encouraged it. And Colin Coward made a good point of saying, well, you kind of changed high school and college football too. This is where this becomes relevant. It used to be that your best player was your will linebacker or your boundary corner, right? You make him your, your boundary corner is your best athlete because you leave him one-on-one. 
He can use the boundary as an extra defender, but he doesn't usually need help over top. You send that safety help to the field, okay? Or it's your will linebacker, who's usually unblocked, okay, but also gets left out on an island a lot of the time, your weak side linebacker, and he's got to make a lot of plays, especially on outside zone, okay? That's your Bruce Carter, usually, or Zach Brown. Usually the, the best athlete on the field used to be those guys. Now it's the quarterback. In high school, you take your best athlete, you put him at quarterback. In college, you're seeing a lot of college programs doing that. Lamar Jackson is that point embodied. So when you've got our pass rush, getting upfield, getting pressure, getting a step on the offensive line, it creates natural running lanes for a guy like that. So, yeah, the rush yardage didn't look as good on the stat sheet as it could have been or as people would want it to be. But in reality, our, our front seven in the run game and our defensive backs, especially our safeties, Miles Dorn coming up and helping in the run game, those guys did a great job on designed runs. Great job. And the pass rush is so much better than it was last year. And that shows a comfort level with the defensive scheme, with the coaching staff, with Papuchas and the defensive coaching staff. And it shows a comfort level with each other that those guys are gelling the way that we want them to, right? But if you're not paying attention, if you're not really looking for it, you don't see it. You just see big gashes because pass coverage was a problem. To get back to the communication aspect, look, all Petrino did to us all day long was run pick plays. All day long. Uh, offense, we call them rub routes. But they're pick plays. You take a guy, if you're in man defense or even zone, you take two receivers and you basically cross them. Everybody knows what it looks like. Clemson did it to win the national championship. Florida State did it to beat Notre Dame year before year before last, when Everett Golson was a quarterback and Jameis Winston was out with his, you know, whatever that was in the lunchroom thing. <laughs> you guys remember that controversy, right? You basically just run two defenders into each other and one of the receivers gets open, and it's usually the underneath guy. Well, that's what was happening. Petrino was just running that between an outside receiver and a slot, right? He was running pick plays, and the outside receiver was coming free underneath, or he'd run it with the slot and a running back, right? And whoever the underneath guy was, he'd come open. And Action Jackson, all he had to do was dump it down because for some reason we had nobody in the vicinity to, to account for that. Now, I talk a lot about my experiences when I played and that team that I played on, right? That's just what I have. That's what I have the reference to. Go back for those of you who have games DVR'd or have access to old games. The difference between those Butch Davis defenses and what we saw on Saturday from the linebacking position is Quan Sturdivant, Bruce Carter, Kevin Reddick, those type of athletes on the back end that were just as good in the pass as they were in the run. Right? Compare that to what we've got going on right now. Andre Smith is a manimal against the run. That dude, you can't run on that guy. Cole Holcomb is a man in the run. They're awesome. Something's happening, though, in our pass, in our pass coverage. You go back to those 2008, 2009, 2010 defenses, those, those guys we had there on the back end, on that second level of the defense, so I'm talking linebackers, nickels, those guys were such good athletes that when we would run a Tampa 2 and we would just send our middle linebacker, whether it was Quan when he was a middle linebacker or Kevin Reddick when he got on the field, okay, we'd send them deep and they'd, they'd, cover the, they'd cover the deep middle. We had our outside guys, Bruce and Zach Brown, were so good that they could get out, 
to their responsibility and get into their coverage and then break down and make a play on whoever ends up catching the ball. That is missing right now. So I don't know that it's so much communication as it might be physical limitation. And that's not me talking bad about the guys we have because we've got great athletes there on the second level. There's just a little hitch in their giddy-up. There's, there's something missing from their game that is correctable that Andre Smith, Cole Holcomb, if we're going to run that 4-2, and those are going to be our linebackers. Jonathan Smith, when he's in the game, those guys are good enough athletes, and they're pros. They'll get it fixed. Because I promise you, we can sit here and talk about it all we want all day long. They know. They know what they're doing wrong. They know what they need to do to correct. So whether it's a communication issue or it's a Bobby Petrino just knew we had a vulnerability to pick plays and we'd leave the middle wide open because he saw it on film and he's a hell of a coach, I don't know. I think it was a little bit of a ladder in the beginning and that Petrino decided he's going to keep beating us with it until we stop it. And at that point, there was a communication issue. There was an inability to correct it in-game. And I don't put that so much on the coaches as I put it on the players because at that point, they know. And they know what they've got to do to fix it. That's not a schematic problem. That's a let's get together us two, three linebackers, us secondary and linebackers, and figure out how we're going how, how to snuff this out and quit relying on the coaches so much to fix our own problems. So – Long answer again to a short question. Sorry, guys. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, but there was, you go. Yeah, I mean, that's the communication issues. I think there's a little lack of athleticism at, at linebacker. You know, I hate to say it, but the, the, the athletes UNC had during Butch aren't really the same, I feel, that UNC has now. You know, it, it's nice to go back and, and relive those glory days of, of Carter and um, Reddick and all those freak athletes. But, um, you know, I haven't, we haven't seen anybody but those two linebackers much. You know, Jonathan Smith got some time. I haven't seen Dominique Ross play once, a guy that I was pretty excited about coming in a, a longer, faster linebacker. Kayson Collins, Collins isn't getting any run either. He's mostly on special teams now, which yeah, he has a lot of mental busts, but he's a, he's, a, he's a phenomenal athlete too. So it's, and, I wonder if that's a too many, too many mental errors thing or what that is. Yeah, and, and, and the defensive backs are getting beat, you know. You got – Guys getting open. There's a cushion that tons of the cornerbacks gave the wide receivers. And maybe that was the fear of Lamar Jackson running or being very aware of the fact that you have a dual threat quarterback who can kill you with his feet. But, you know, there was a lot of talk about an improved defense and, uh, and these studs at cornerback and safety. And, and they're getting beat. You know, Miles Dorn, he's had some great plays. And he's, you can see him. You can see his physicality and and then he can come up and make a play or break on a pass, but he's also getting beat deep on some things where you don't know if it's mental or if against Louisville he was worried about the run. But you, you would like to see some big-time improvement on these huge chunk plays that Cal and Louisville got. I think Lamar Jackson is kind of an outlier here. I, don't, I doubt UNC will face a quarterback as good as him. Obviously, you know, Daniel Jones at Duke is a great quarterback who killed UNC last year on third down. So that's kind of concerning as well. And then one last note, you know, Jalen Dalton, after getting kicked out of the Cal game, came back and, and you saw that freakish athleticism. You saw the big plays. I think he had a couple sacks or was at least back there for some tackles for a loss or a sack. He chased down oh, he the was, Louisville. He, he was unreal. He did, he did what he's capable of doing because he spent a lot less time talking and a yeah. lot more time worried about his technique and keeping his pad level right, which if there's two critiques on Jalen Dalton right now, if I'm watching film on him, there's one, I see him standing up too much. 
and he plays real high. And he's a, he's a tall guy, but he's using his height. I think he's I think he's convinced himself that he's a tall defensive tackle. I'm putting that in air quotes. Okay, most defensive tackles now are in the six four six five range. That's just the way it's going, especially three techniques. So he's got to learn to play with that lower pad level first off to be more effective. And he did against Louisville, and he was significantly more effective. And number two is that kid's got to cut out that fake tough guy stuff because I ain't <laughs> buying it. I ain't buying it until he strings together some games, like four or five more games the way he played against Louisville. I'm not buying that he's a tough guy. I'm not buying that he's going to whip me if I'm an offensive lineman. I'm not buying that. I'm not, I'm not seeing it on film. You, let, you, 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 you produce, and then you run your mouth. And that goes for everybody, offensively and defensively. And any young player I've ever coached who I saw try to make that a part of their, part of their game, first thing I told them, you do first, and then you tell them you're going to do it next. And until you start doing, you don't do any telling. That's always been my advice to young players. And you saw him cut it out against Louisville, and he played real well. And I we hope can, he keeps it up because, my God, that kid can be special. He really we can, can. We can call this the uh, Mike Ingersoll fake tough guy podcast. But, yeah, you saw his, uh, <laughs> yeah. you saw his freak <laughs> athleticism on, the, on chasing down that run play or that, that big gain that Louisville had. He, he chased him down, what, 40, 50 yards to, to make the tackle as a 300-pound defensive tackle. That's the kind of speed that Nazir Jones showed in that interception. I mean, that's crazy for a defensive tackle to chase down a, a wide receiver, whoever that was for Louisville. But The most athletic thing I saw Jalen Dalton do was, and he did it repeatedly, was play about two and a half to three feet off the ground at six foot five and rip through, rip right across the center's face and beat a center and a guard to get in the backfield multiple times. That's the, that's the most athletic. I mean, yeah, he, he, he runs fast. You know, and you're right. That's, you know, a defensive tackle can run down a receiver. That's pretty impressive. That's, uh, that's Booger McFarlane type speed, all right? Warren Sapp type speed. But the most impressive thing I saw Jalen do athletically was splitting a guard in attack or splitting the guard in the center over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Guys who were shorter than him that's, and, and experienced players. Those guys have been playing for Louisville. We saw a lot out of Jalen. I hope he keeps it up. I think he's figured out how to do it. No doubt. Good stuff, guys. I will say this has been the easiest podcast I've ever done. Uh, a lot of listening. Oh, yeah. Hey, Tommy, I forgot you were there. Yeah, really. I, uh, well, I actually just – the editing process, I don't know about, but we shall see. It's fun to talk about. I'm looking – here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for some leadership on the offensive line against Old Dominion, and I'm looking to see how the defense reacts because the Cal game season opener – those issues are well documented for this team under Larry Fedora for whatever reason. Lamar Jackson in Louisville, it's just a different animal. You're not going to face anybody like that. It'll be interesting to see how Clemson handles him this weekend. Uh, that's a much wider. they going to roll Louisville. Most, I, I think they will too, but I, I still think Lamar Jackson has a ton of yards. But Carolina's going into this season, the rest of the season, that there's no more times to slip if they want to have a chance at bowl eligibility. So I'm sure we'll talk plenty more times, Ross and Mike, and I'm going to cut y'all loose now because I got work to do, but I appreciate y'all joining me. All right, Tommy, good stuff. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.